Let's take our Bibles and have our Bible study tonight in Colossians chapter 2 as we keep going verse by verse through the Bible. We've got one verse tonight. Colossians chapter 2. And we're in verse number 8. I've seen some of you getting on Duolingo. Learn the language. Bravo. By the way, that's free. I don't know if I said that. That's that's free. They don't cost you anything. So, I'm acing my Greek lessons, by the way. Just thought I'd tell you that. Amen. We ought to encourage each other. Somebody do something like that. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, I'm in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. And the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware lest any man spoil you. So the question is, are you spoiled? That's the question. So we're going to talk about that for just a minute. First of all, the danger of being spoiled. Look at the first word of verse 8. It's beware. Beware. There, it's, it's amazing what people get afraid of and what they heed warnings about. Beware of dog. You know, there's some people put up that sign and there's no dog in the yard. Y'all know that? I was down at uh, preaching there in Milton at Brother Fleur's and Brother Fleur asked me to come over to his house, Brother Jim that is, and I went over to Brother Jim's and he had a big sign on, on, in his, on his chain link fence Big sense said, beware of dog. So I, he had his gate open, and I drove in, and I stayed in my car because I obey the signs. And he said, hey, brother, come on. I said, well, what about that sign? He said, oh, we get, got rid of our dog long ago, but I like the sign. <laughs> it's amazing what people will take heed and beware of. And that's physically. You know, the greatest dangers in life are not physical dangers. Now, they are in most people's minds. They would be more afraid of um, getting cancer or some other physical harm that might come to them or their family than some spiritual harm. But when God says beware, it's, it's, it's something that we ought to take heed of just more than we would of a physical, physical problem. Uh, some people would never think of driving without putting their seatbelt on, but they won't go through their spiritual life without putting some seatbelts on. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that get afraid. You know, it's fascinating. These, this new generation, I think it's not just this generation. My generation the same way. Um, captivated by horror movies. You know, we're right around that time of year. In a way, people like to be scared. That's sort of twisted, isn't it? It's almost like a joke or it's fun. Uh, Maybe people think that the same way with spiritual danger. They think it's fun to play the game. But God says beware. If God says beware, you better beware. He's not just saying that uh, and putting the sign up. And there's no dog in the yard. He says, beware. You need to beware. 
You'll find that word over and over in the New Testament. Jesus used that quite a lot as well. Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, he said, beware false prophets. Uh, some of that may be contained in the verse that we'll study tonight. He also said in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Now, that is a particular uh, interesting warning to beware of the scribes because the scribes were the ones that were handling the Bible. They were copying the Bible. In other words, he's not just saying beware of the, you know, the murderers and the drunks. And, the, and he said beware of the scribes. Beware of those religious people that would bring error into your life. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And that that warning was about hypocrisy. And one of the things that will kill a church and kill your home and kill your influence and kill your own life is a duality of life where, where you're not really real and... Uh, you know, you say you believe things, but you don't live that. And, of course, that was the Pharisees. Jesus even said, do everything the Pharisees tell you to do. You know, he said that to the people. But he said, don't do after their works. Don't have their kind of heart. There was nothing wrong in what the Pharisees were teaching or telling the people to do. There was something wrong with their heart. There was something wrong with their hypocrisy. And so he said, beware of that. He also said in Luke 12, 15, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Um, Paul said, Beware of dogs, and he's talking about two-legged ones. They're dangerous. You know what? who is usually, or what is usually the thing that destroys people is another two-legged person. that they just did not see the sign up that says you need to get away from this person. Now, we think people need to be aware of, beware of hell, beware of judgment, eternal judgment. But in, in Colossians chapter 2, he's letting you know several things. He didn't tell you to beware. Of, you know, he didn't even tell us to beware of the devil. Matter of fact, we're not to be afraid of the devil because if we resist the devil, he'll flee. But that's not true about every person in your life. You ever thought about that? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You've got somebody greater in you. But what we need to beware of, verse number 8, beware lest any man... What we need to be aware of are people that the devil try to put in our lives to destroy our lives, or people we allow in our lives. He says this over and over in this, in this text. Look at verse number 4 of Colossians 2. And this I say, lest any man... He's worried about, about some other man influencing. Beware lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. He said in verse number, verse number 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect. Be, beware of this guy that's trying to put 
things in your head that, that the Holy Spirit's not trying to put in your head. Verse number 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So the beware statements is about the people. He does not even say to beware of the world system. He says beware of the man that will come in your life to spoil you. So there's going to be an effort to spoil and beguile and entice and harm every one of God's people. The devil is going to send somebody to spoil you. He does a really good job. And that, by the way, he says man. He's not just saying only males are the culprit, okay? Mankind, human beings. Beware lest any man spoil you. So he says, let, let's talk about this. The, the danger of being spoiled, it's, it's a great danger. You ought to be more worried about that than getting bit by a dog or having a wreck. But then the effects of being spoiled. He says, beware lest any man spoil you. I start thinking about, you know, that word has more than one meaning to it. Spoil. What is, what is he saying? Beware lest any man spoil you. What's he going to do? Well, first of all, the first thing you'd have to do, if you did a check of your Bible for the word spoil, you would have a different connotation than what we normally think about. So it would land you over there in the Old Testament. You remember where the Bible's told, uh, God's told the Jews to go to the Egyptians and borrow the jewelry and the gold. Remember all that? Just go borrow everything and then leave with it. He says, I'm going to let you spoil them. Now, the way we use the word spoil is that we are giving in to people. But in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the word spoil usually means somebody is taking something from you. You're not giving something to somebody. You understand? You know how to spoil your kid, right? Just give, give them everything they want. But watch this now. By giving them everything they want, you're going to take away from them the valuable things they need. See, there's a big double connotation here. Really, there's three connotations. What does it mean? So they spoiled the Egyptians. They, they took all their valuables with them. Now, you say, well, that's stealing. Well, no, because they had, they had stolen all that they had from the Jewish people. The Jewish people had built their society. They were their slaves, you see. And if God says you can go take everybody, everybody else's junk, then you can go take everybody else's junk. Because ultimately, everything belongs to God. Now, the one you don't want to steal from is God. Okay? But as far as if God says, you, okay, he says go take all that stuff from the Egyptians. So to spoil someone in that context means you take from them what is valuable. Are you with me? Beware. 
lest any man spoil you. Beware lest the devil send somebody in your life that takes away the valuable things of your life. And we're not talking about your TV or your car or your 401k or, amen, your guns in your house or whatever else in your safety deposit box. The most valuable things that we have are spiritual things. They cannot be bought with money. And the devil will send somebody in life to spoil to spoil you, to take away the valuable things of your life. Like take away your peace, take away your joy, take away your purity, take away your close walk with God. Guys, we've got to be smart enough. If, if you have a close relationships with people that aren't good for your spiritual life, you need to see the beware sign and take a step back. It doesn't mean you have to be unkind, it may be arrogant, but there are some people in your life that aren't going to help you walk with God. And if they take that closeness away from God out of your life as you get close with them, you need to beware of that because you're going to lose some valuable things with the Lord. You'll be spoiled in the Old Testament sense of the word. Try to take your Bible away from you. You said, I know I'm going to take my Bible away from you. If the phone rings enough, you, you understand what I'm saying? Here, here you're, you're trying to pray or you're trying to read your Bible and all of these things come up. You know what that is? That's the devil trying to spoil you, trying to take away that valuable time that is necessary. That, that's more valuable than the rest of the things you're going to do in the day. Beware lest any man spoil you. Try to take your church away from you. Try to take your opportunities to witness away from you. I'm just saying the word spoil first in this connotation in the biblical sense has to do with somebody stealing from you or taking valuable things from your life. And if, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll be robbed and not know it. So that's beware lest he may spoil spoil you. What's the second kind of thought of the word spoil? I've already said it. Spoiling a kid. Spoiling a child. Okay? And everybody knows if a child is spoiled. Nobody has to tell anybody. They don't have to have a badge saying I'm spoiled. Everybody knows it immediately. Is that right? And what we need to do with our children, we need to make sure they're not spoiled. Again, you don't give them everything they want. You're doing that because that makes you feel good. You know a spoiled child, and this is what I say about spoiled in that context. The first one is it's taking away something valuable from you. But when we use the, the second sense of the word spoiled, spoiling a child, When a child is spoiled, everybody is miserable. Is that not true? God knows the parents are miserable. They have made this monster, and yet they are most miserable. Because they did not go through the steps of the Word of God to discipline this child. 
It made them feel better to give in to the child and not bring character in their life and not telling them no and not being consistent with the child. But now that they've done all those things that they thought were wonderful and they didn't pay the cost to do the hard part of the rod and reproof and correction and discipline and chasing because that was so hard to do. And then now as the child grows, they are miserable. A spoiled child makes miserable parents. It does. But they're not the only ones that are miserable. Everybody around them is miserable. I'm miserable. I get on an airplane and I have a miserable flight because this kid is a child from hell. And the reason he's a child from hell because he's been spoiled. And he don't want the seat belt and he don't want the water, and he doesn't like the snack, and he wants to get out of his seat and run up and down the aisle, and he doesn't get it, and he is just going nuts. And the parent's miserable, but they're not the only one. Everybody on the plane is saying, land this plane and get this kid off of the plane. We're all miserable. Is that right? We have, we have a precious nursery at our church. And there'll be certain children that'll come into that nursery and the nursery workers will come out and they'll smile and they'll rejoice and they'll say, I tell you what, I just wish we had a whole nursery full of this child. And then there are others. <laughs> and the nursery workers don't come out saying, Pastor, Can I do double duty? No. Because spoiled equals miserable. But spoiled is not just miserable for the parents. And it's not just miserable for all the rest of us. It's miserable for the kid. The child is miserable. The thing about spoiling, you'd think if you spoiled a kid, the kid would just go, all right, this is the greatest life in the world. No. The child is the most miserable child. Amen. In the classroom, in the building. And the kid that don't have anything, and the kid, amen, who... uh got the right thing applied to their backside and said had said no to and had some character and discipline put in their life and didn't just get hugs and kisses, but also received the instruction and the reproof they're supposed to receive. That kid is happy looking at the other kids saying, what's wrong with this kid? We have that in the nursery. Maybe I should let my wife preach a while. She'll say, there's been a kid in the nursery just going nuts, just kicking and screaming and hollering and fussing. And there'll be other kids in the nursery just looking at that kid like they're crazy. I got my toy. What's wrong with you? I'm telling you, the only kid that's miserable in the nursery is the spoiled one. It's not helping them. It's making them miserable. 
You know what the devil will do? He'll send a man to spoil you. Just to make you miserable. You say, how are they going to make me miserable? By telling bad things about No, they may make you miserable by giving you everything you want to hear. But in the long run, you're going to be miserable by getting to hear what you want to hear. You get it? It's not just children that are spoiled. He said, beware lest any man spoil you. The average Christian in liberal churches is spoiled rotten. They're spoiled rotten. Preacher, don't ever get up, amen, and rip, snort, and preach on sin, and slay wickedness, and rebuke, and reprove. No. It gives them what they want to hear. And so that group of people, they're the most miserable people in the world. And they have to get drugs to just live. And they have to get on the internet and tell everybody how terrible their life is. And find 500 people to agree with them about it. You hear me? Guys, come on. You go back 50 years, 100 years ago. Don't tell me that 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 other generation didn't have heartaches and troubles in life. But you know, they had something we don't. They weren't spoiled. They could take hard preaching. They could take rebuke. They could take a hard life. And they didn't surround themselves with people that just told them what they wanted to hear. Mm. They'll steal from you. They'll make you unhappy, make you miserable. Mm. Spoil has another word. So maybe, maybe people ought to stop and say, man, I'm miserable. And they ought to stop and say, am I spoiled? I'd say this, in the history of the church, we are the spoiled generation. Couldn't we agree to that? I mean, we're not meeting out in the brush arbor. (laughs) I mean, we got electric lights and air conditioning and heat and cars and we don't live in the depression. Guys, can you not see that? The Depression era Christians were the happiest people in the world. And the richest Christians are the most miserable people in the world. You know why? We're spoiled. Somebody spoiled us. So instead of wanting what you just want to hear or wanting how you want it in life, why don't you say, Lord, just do what Brother Earl told me to do. He said, he said Brother Brett. He said, pray to God and ask him to put the hardest thing on you, you can, he can imagine. And I did what you did. And Brother Earl was so happy. You know what? I think he, I think he traveled some of that road. And he was joyful. And I was spoiled. He said, you need a little harder, son. And the Lord has a way of bringing the hard things in your life. And so the question is, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to let, let him? You can undo a child that's spoiled. It takes a whole lot of work. But if you've got a spoiled child, you can change that. But you've got to do double the work. And so the Lord works on us just to make us take away the misery from us. Spoiling your child, spoiling your goods. 
There's another thing about spoil, and I can't help but think about it because I've got such a problem that I can't think about anything too far that, that I don't think about food. When I think about something being spoiled, I think about food or spoiled milk. I tell you one thing, you ever pour you a glass of milk and you didn't know it was spoiled, it looks fine. And you start chugging it, you'll never forget the spoiled milk. Isn't that true? And the next time you go to pour a glass, you're going to go... You know, I do that to this day, and my wife gets so frustrated with me. She said, why do you keep smelling the milk? I said, because I drank it spoiled one time. That was six years ago, but it lingers. Am I right? He said, beware lest any man spoil you. When we talk about food that's spoiled, when we talk about Meat that's spoiled. You know what spoiled things will do to you if you take them into your mouth and down into your belly? They'll make you sick. Now the spoiled milk won't because it'll come out as quick as it went in. But here's the thing about spoiled food. Sometimes it's spoiled and you don't know it. Do y'all see the picture in the Bible? Beware lest any man spoil you. Is the devil, is somebody else feeding you something that, that you don't, you're not even aware of? Is poisoning your mind, poisoning your heart, poisoning your life? It, are, you, are you receiving something that's making you spiritually sick? Guys, we're over there in the Tbilisi, Georgia, the former uh, Soviet Republic. They're preaching the gospel in the 90s, man. And that, you know, they, they were feeding this. Stuff that had meat in it, but we, it, it was boiled cabbage rolls. We thought it was great. You know, I will never eat another sarmale the rest of my life. Because the meat that was put in those rolls was spoiled. Now, now here, here's another principle. They would eat it and they didn't get sick. They're used to the poison. He says, you're a child of God. You're not used to the poison. It's going to make you sick. Spiritually sick. Something that's not healthy for your life. Okay, so that's the effects of... You, know, you find out... Here's the bad thing about eating something that's spoiled. If you find out about it later, <laughs> you don't even know that you, 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 you ate it. You, you, you don't even know what the problem is. But when the effects begin, you start doing detective work. Okay, something's not right both ways. I'm going to find out, right? Because I am not eating that again. Is that right? right? Now let me ask you a question. When we get spiritually sick, why don't we go and find out what is making me spiritually sick and I'm not going to do that again? Beware lest any man spoil you. Okay, so that's the danger of being spoiled. Beware. The effects of being spoiled. Now, how? How does that happen? What will spoil me? 
Look at our verse again. Verse number eight. Beware lest any man spoil you through what? Okay, there's really four things, and I'll be done tonight, that will spoil you. Philosophy. Really, they, they sort of go together, but we'll, look, we'll look, look at all of them individually. Philosophy will spoil you. Vain deceit will spoil you. After the tradition of men, the tradition of men will spoil you. The rudiments, after the rudiments of the world, the, the rudiments of the world will spoil you. So these four things will spoil your life. It'll make you miserable. It'll steal the valuable things from your life. It'll make you spiritually sick. The first is philosophy. Philosophy. Now, there's all types of, hold your finger right there and go to Acts chapter 17. There's all types of philosophy. They're not all mentioned in the Bible, of course. While you're turning to Acts chapter uh, 17, one philosophy we're warned of while you turn over there is in 1 Timothy 6.20, which is science falsely so-called. There is the philosophy of science. Now, Now, real science... I mean, the Bible doesn't contradict real science, but the science in our world is not real science. Most of it is science falsely so-called. Evolution is a philosophy that will spoil you. It'll spoil you. It's a philosophy that it undermines the things of God and of Christ in your life. Every bit of it. Theistic evolution. I don't care what you put with evolution, it will spoil you. The philosophy of science, where they talk about, and, and of course they don't even agree on this because it's not true, the philosophy of uh, global warming and climate change. Have you noticed that people are more adamant and on fire and excited and zealous about that than they are babies getting their heads cut off? You know why? They've been spoiled. They have been ruined by a devilish philosophy. Um, how about, well, you're in Acts 17. How about, here's, an, here's another philosophy. Political science, that's a philosophy. You know, political persuasions will spoil, you know why? Because they ain't nothing in the Bible. I was going to say about communism or social. There are some illustrations of it. But not about democracy. God doesn't prop up any of that. that. That's all man's philosophy about how to govern himself. You know what, what God's philosophy is? Let Jesus run you. Amen. So if you get too involved even in a political philosophy, somewhere you'll probably get out, out of the bounds of the Bible or you'll get more interested in that than the things. I'm not saying I'm not going to vote. I think everybody ought to vote. I think anybody with a half a brain knows that communism and socialism is just a scourge to mankind. I believe it. But the government I'm waiting for is, is a theocracy, a dictatorship by King Jesus. No courts, no votes, no Congress. I don't even want to vote. Because you know why? I don't know how to vote. He knows. He knows what's right. I'll just give him all my votes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now, I know we got a vote down here because we got crazy people, but I'm saying that philosophy can also spoil you. Acts chapter 17, 
The Bible says in verse 18, it mentions two philosophies here. Acts 17, 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So you see how philosophy is in opposition to the preaching of Jesus. Because the preaching of Jesus and the word of God, it just trumps every philosophy or way of thought or study or principles of of life, of humanity. The philosophy that we ought to have is this. And when you put this up against other philosophies, they get upset about it. So the philosophy of the Epicureans and the philosophy of the Stoics is this. The Epicureans, they followed a guy named Epicurus, 342-271 B.C. His chief aim, or this is his philosophy, was just pleasure. In other words, the chief thing you ought to be getting out of life is just have, have pleasure. There's another word for that. We, we call it hedonism. Or the Bible calls it the pleasures of sin for a season. Just whatever makes you, whatever, whatever makes you comfortable, whatever gives you pleasure in your life, that's what you ought to go for. You know what that philosophy will do? It'll spoil you. It'll make you miserable. Because you know what? You'll never find enough pleasure. You see how, see how the word spoil goes with that? I get all this stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm miserable. And it steals the valuable things from you, that Epicureanism, that hedonism, that living just a life of pleasure. It steals away your, your, your character. It steals away your, your, your denial of yourself. That's the Epicurean. And when he says... Lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. How, how vain is it just to live to please yourself? Guys, I'm telling you, this is not just something at Harvard or Yale or, or some university in California. The philosophy of the Epicureans is in our churches and sometimes it's in our own hearts. Because when we make a decision, we want to make a decision based upon what makes me comfortable. What pleases me. What makes me feel good. That's why, that's why this country is not going to stop legalizing every vice in the world. You want to smoke dope? Makes you feel better? Smoke dope. You want to engage in prostitution? We'll make that legal. Whatever you, whatever makes you happy, that's hedonism. That's the philosophy of the Epicureans. The philosophy, it's just the God of pleasure. The philosophy of the Stoics was totally opposite. They followed a guy named Zeno, and he said that the chief or the highest good was knowledge. Knowledge. Education. So, that's also a philosophy that will spoil you. 
I just want to know more. I want to get to the bottom of it. You know, people that try to study philosophy and of, of why are we here and what's the purpose in life and let's just go to the far reaches of the universe and find the meaning of everything. The farther you go, the more, the more fatalistic you get. Because then there's no meaning of life. Because knowledge not only puffs up, but it doesn't give you any answers. Gives you no answers for you. I think that philosophy is in America. I think that some of the chief philosophy of America is is just uh, knowledge. You know, whether it's um, looking out in the universe or or getting your education at the Ivy League school or whatever. But the problem with that, they don't have anything to do with this philosophy. If they were wanting to, Harvard and all that and Princeton, that, those were schools that were started to study the Bible. They wouldn't look at a Bible right now, amen, if you put a gun to, the head, to their heads. Because they have a different philosophy. Some, they got spoiled. Well, I could go on and on about philosophies. Psychology is a philosophy. Animal rights, all that's a philosophy. I hate all that stuff. But anyway, let's let's go on down. So philosophy will spoil you. Then he said vain deceit. Anything that's empty or vain that doesn't have any meaning will spoil you. So if you spend your life, I'll give you some illustration about that. Vain deceit. When I think of vain deceit, I think of people that want to be beautiful. Beauty is, I didn't say that. You said that. Actually, God said that. Do you know what, what, what spoils some people? They just want to be beautiful. That's their pursuit. Now, guys, th- there is no mark of spirituality to be ugly. I want my wife to be pretty. It helps me. I don't want to go home to an ugly woman. Okay, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be, I'm just saying this. If your goal in life is to have the best hair and the best body and the best nails and the best muscles, you're going to get spoiled because that's not what life's about. That's vain deceit. And we know it's vain. You're deceiving yourself and thinking you're pretty when you're really worm dirt. <laughs> all of us are. All these people, you know, doing all this stuff and getting rid of this. I'm going to get rid of these wrinkles and I'll put all these chemicals and whatever the stuff they put in their face. And then they look like a balloon. <laughs> That's vain deceit. Got to get the clothes that show off my body. And I'm not just talking about women either. Vain deceit. Here's vain deceit uh, to get fame or success. That's vanity. Be popular. Some people just want to be popular. That's vain deceit. It'll spoil you. Here's another one I just want to have fun. That is the God of most of America. I just want to have fun. 
Vanity of vanity. All is vanity, say the preacher. Well, I got to finish. He says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And then he says, after the tradition of men. Tradition will spoil you. Now, I got to be careful here because I've got two verses. I've got or two passages of Scripture. One is, and you can write this down or just file it away. Mark chapter 7, Jesus over and over and over again warns the disciples about tradition. And the Jews had all types of tradition of washing their hands, of washing cups. Well, you know, I, I think some of us learned during COVID that washing our hands is not such a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with wash, washing our hands. But if it becomes a tradition that means more to you than what God wants. Jesus didn't wash his hands on purpose when he went to eat with somebody to break their tradition. Because they were more concerned about their tradition than they were God or the truth. Well, we always wash our hands. We always do this. We always wash these pots and cups in a certain way. And Jesus over and over said, beware of the tradition of these elders and scribes and Pharisees. And he, he concluded it with this. He said, they, by their tradition, they will make the word of God of none effect. In other words, they are more concerned about their tradition than they are the Bible. I'll never forget. When I took down, do y'all remember the old Sunday, uh, Southern Baptist Sunday school boards? Y'all remember those? That had the attendance and... Nobody ever changed the numbers at the church. I mean, but, but the board was there. I, I'm in my 20s as a pastor. I'm just, I walked in church one day, and it was like, God says, I don't like it there. I was like, I don't like it there either. I just went around, took it off the wall, put it, put it up, put it in the office. You'd have thought I'd shot somebody's mom that morning. <laughs> they came in on Sunday morning, pastor. Somebody stole the Sunday school board. I said, no, they didn't. They didn't. I said, no, I took it down. You did what? I said, I took it down. Well, that board's been on that wall for 42 years. Okay, by the time it came down. They didn't give a flip about what my Sunday morning message was last Sunday or my Sunday night message was. They didn't care about people going to hell. They wouldn't go out on visitation. They didn't read their Bible. They weren't greed for their country. They weren't praying. They weren't all upset about the condition of their world, but they're mad that the Sunday school board got took down. You know what they were? They were spoiled. Who cares? But you know what? I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There'll be little things that the way they've always been in our lives and we'll emphasize that more than what really matters if we're not careful. That will be more important to us than the book. Tradition. And I don't think I want to develop that because I'd go a lot more time and we don't have it. But go to 2 Thessalonians. There's, I've got to give the other side to that. Because then there are people that come along and say, see there, anything that's not in the Bible, throw it out. <laughs> you know, I know churches that think it's a sin to have a piano in the church house. 
a sin, get it out. You know why? It's not in the Bible. But they have an organ. <laughs> or I love the Church of Christ. They don't have any instruments but one. <laughs> That's an instrument. You old hypocrite. We just have to blow all of our notes. <laughs> they think it's a sin. It's not in the Bible. Altar calls aren't in the Bible. Choirs aren't in the New Testament. Sunday school and nursery's not in the Bible. Vacation Bible school's not in the Bible. The word Bible's not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. And so what happens is people want to change the things that we've been taught. Why do you people have hymn books? Get rid of those hymn books. It's just your stupid tradition. That's why you have a hymn book. That's not in the Bible. Why does your preacher wear a tie? He's just a traditionalist. People don't dress like that. That's tradition. I tell you what, when the president takes off his tie and the news anchor men take off their tie and ESPN Sports Center takes off their tie, well, then come talk to me. They all dress up when they got something important to say, and what I got to say is more important than what all they've got to say. But people say, our tradition. Why do you go back on Sunday night? That's just tradition anyway. Not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. Wednesday night prayer meeting, that's not in the Bible. Master club, sure it's not in the Bible. Air condition is not in the Bible. So the Amish people think that we're all backslid because we got all these things here that's not in the Bible. So what do we do with all that? On one hand, tradition can spoil you. But you've got to put Scripture with Scripture. Jesus warned us of that, and then he said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the what? The what? Wait, 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 wait. He just said the tradition will spoil you. Well, that's the traditions of men, men that don't know God, men that don't walk with God, men that aren't your pastor, men that aren't the people that are preaching you the Word of God, men that haven't led you to Christ. But Paul tells these Thessalonians, you need to hold the traditions that you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. If I've taught you to do this because God put me in your life. Guys, there are some things my dad taught me that maybe I didn't find them in the Bible, but I'm sticking with them because he taught them to me. And they're not against the Bible. Many of them are things that help me. And then he says the rudiments of the world will spoil you. Those are just the principles of the world, the guidelines of the world. It's also in verse 20 of Colossians 2. We'll probably 
deal with that when we get there. And he said, all this stuff is not after Christ. And it, here's what he says, and I'm finished. You, you believe me, you can stand up. Everybody stand up, I'm finished. I did, I'm not lying to you. I'm just going to be like Joel Haynes and make you stand for 30 minutes. He says this, you will be spoiled, it don't matter what it is, if it's not after Christ. If you'll stay on the pursuit of Jesus Christ, if you'll stay following Jesus Christ, if everything you do is after Christ, He's first and you're second, and you are after Him, and you are following Him, and your life is committed to Him, then you'll be safe from being spoiled. But all these other things are trying to get you away from Jesus Christ. Whatever it is. Are you spoiled? Hope not.